0: Hey, good morning, love that you guys are here, really do. Um, my favorite, I think one of my favorite moments in the entire week is this, uh, specifically getting to worship with you guys, getting to be in this room and be alongside a, a bunch of other people who, um, if you are in Christ, are filled with the Holy Spirit, proclaiming what is true, proclaiming that he is holy, proclaiming that he is good. And, and here's where it takes me, uh, Romans chapter 8, Paul says this, he says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons and daughters of God. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery in which to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by which we cry, Abba, Father. And I love the fact that we have a room full of people who, not because we've got it all together, not because we're good enough, holy enough, churchy enough, Christian enough, um, but because we're His, to have said yes to Him are His we are filled with the spirit and we get to say you are holy, you are good and we've been given his spirit which allows us to approach him as Abba Father which is this such term of intimacy. really are glad you're here. My name is Ben. I'm one of the pastors here. If I haven't gotten a chance to meet you, I love that you're here and um, love that you're worshiping with us. We, in this ministry, uh, usually go through books of the Bible. And so we just finished the book of Hebrews. Um, we finished it right before spring break. And so um, from there now, we've started today a three-week series on anxiety. Um, and we've started a series on anxiety because um, in in probably my entire uh, time in ministry, at least vocational ministry, I've never seen anything like what I feel like, even pastorally, I've seen within the last year or two. With the wave of anxiety that it feels like our people, college, young married couples, young adults, post college, um, people that I walk with, just feel like they're drowning in anxiety. Um, And and we, even as a staff, have wrestled with it. And and even me on this stage have wrestled with, okay, what is this God and, and where is it coming from and what do we do with this? And where is freedom from this? come from, and so we're going to spend three weeks, uh, this week and and two more weeks, diving into what this book, which we believe, uh, has to say about it, and it has a ton to say about it, honestly. We're going to probably just scratch the surface in these three weeks, um, because this book talks a lot about anxiety, talks a lot about fear, and so that's where we're going. Um, This idea that uh, Nathan and, and Sid shared, we believe we are broken people. Uh, we do. We believe we're broken people, and that's not something we hide. That's something that um, we even see Paul boast in his weakness. And he says, hey, man, I don't have it all together, but he, he does, and he is working in our weakness and in our brokenness. And, and that's really important uh, for us to hold on to. We're broken, but we also believe we don't stay there. We believe in a God who restores and redeems broken people and broken things. My life is a testament to that that I don't have to come in here and fake it and pretend like I've arrived and pretend like I don't struggle with anything. Um, I, I don't have to wear a mask. You don't have to come in here and pretend that you got all the church answers. You get to come in here as you are with a God who meets you there, but also his role, what he does is he takes broken things and restores them. And so that is so much at the core of what we're going to be talking about, even with anxiety. And let me say right off the bat, kind of preview where I'm going. Today, this sermon, we're going to really talk about what it is, where it comes from. This isn't going to be a sermon where we give you a quick fix, just flip this light switch, and then all of a sudden anxiety is gone. Here's seven steps to never be anxious again. That's not where the sermon series is going um, because I think it's a much deeper, uh, more thoughtful, more sensitive subject to tackle. And so we're going to look at what are we supposed to do with it and where does it come from? Um the definition of anxiety, at least the one we're kind of working from right now it's it's really wordy, but track, stay with me here. Um, anxiety is a spectrum of subconscious fear and worry that can then manifest itself in various levels of stress and then even to you know, being just incapacitated, right? But this is what the idea of anxiety can become. The subconscious thing, Uh, that isn't just fear, right? Fear is is something different. This is an anxiety that then can become overwhelming or anywhere in there. And one of the things I want you to to really hold on to is the idea that we believe it's a spectrum. We we think, I mean, social scientists would say that too, that there are people in this room who your anxiety might look like, um, you know, being worried the night before a test. You got a big test the next day and you feel some anxiety about that big test because of the circumstances. Where someone else on that spectrum, right? There's that. Um, or you've got to present a paper in class or present a project and there's a level of anxiety connected to that. Or th- there are those of us in this room, absolutely, who, who anxiety looks like a panic attack, looks like fear, looks like fear that we don't even know where it comes from. But a debilitating, paralyzing uh, attack where it feels like we are going to die. And, and to see that in our people and anywhere in between there. And, and you might be someone who slides back and forth on that scale. Um, it's a really tricky thing, but we want to define it properly. Um, anxiety, is, anxiety disorder is the leading disorder of mental illness that's um, treated and tackled and diagnosed in our country. It's common. And yet I think we love to pretend and love to hide that we don't struggle. Um, We're okay with hearing about someone else's, but I think oftentimes uh, it's really difficult for us to be honest with the fact that, man, this is something that touches just about, at some level on that spectrum, everyone in this room and everyone watching. Um, We see it even in scripture, right? It's common in scripture. We see godly biblical men and women, uh, Moses, King David, Job suffered immensely and then was just buried and broken by his anxiety connected to the circumstances of his suffering. Elijah, who in his anxiety basically flees the mission that God has has said and just says, I just can't handle it anymore and and cracks under that. Uh, Jonah, even Martha in the New Testament who who is just trying to go and go and perform and perform and perform um, even her. And And we see Jesus. We see Jesus himself experience anxiety. In the garden, before Jesus is arrested, before he's crucified, uh, scripture talks about he, he sweats blood because he knows the night before, the night of his arrest, he knows what's coming. He knows the weight that he will bear for the sins of the world and the suffering he's about to endure. Now, anxiety, we don't believe is a sin inherently, right? If you have anxiety, if you struggle with anxiety, that doesn't mean, oh, you're in sin. But we do believe it can become this really unhealthy thing, and you see that. Um, a simpler working definition than that probably an oversimplified definition, but really uh, something to hold on to for this sermon is really the lack of confidence, right? It's, It's an extreme lack of confidence. It's this idea inside our heads that we say, I can't do this. Whether that's, I can't keep breathing and our panic attack is is so severe that we feel like we can't do anything. It's an anxiety that says, I can't get out of bed and face this day. It's an anxiety that says, I can't walk across the room and start this conversation or I can't finish this paper or I can't. That idea, that lack of confidence, that's much more than confidence. It's something much deeper and it's something much more intrinsic in us that anxiety paralyzes us with this fear of I can't do this. And here's the thing, that's not an inherently bad thing. Um, it's not an inherently bad thing. In fact, I think it's actually a God-designed wiring that has gone, um, that's gone awry. Uh, let, me, let me give you some examples. I went to Florida. This was years ago. I went to Florida with some buddies and, um, and we saw, no joke, an alligator um, on the side of the road. I'm in the car with a bunch of guys. It might have been a crocodile. I don't know animals. It was either an alligator or a crocodile. One of the two. Um, and so we did what any car full of young men would do we pulled over immediately so that we could try to touch the alligator or crocodile. <clears throat> and I was bet $50 to touch him on the, the nose, right? So obviously uh, I'm gonna try to do that. I did not get my $50 that day. I did not touch the alligator or crocodile on the nose that day because I had an overwhelming anxiety of like, wait, maybe I shouldn't do this. I enjoy my hands. I don't wanna be, you're a part of that Christ Chapel College Ministry. Yeah, that's that ministry with the like one-handed pastor. Yeah, yeah. He's got a, I would get a cool hook or like a harpoon gun if I did lose a hand. But the point being, there was a a good, probably God-wired fear that even though the $50 was enticing, and honestly, I probably would have done it for one just if somebody would have videotaped it, But I was like, I can't do this. I I can't do this. I shouldn't do this, right? Even bungee jumping. The first time I ever went bungee jumping, right? I got in a cage. It was one of those ones that like they put you in the cage and it's a crane and they take you up really high. So I'm in a cage with some other stranger I just met who secured a bunch of stuff to my feet theoretically and he takes me all the way up to the top and then they open the door to the cage and then I'm just supposed to jump out. I mean, there is an anxiety that becomes almost overwhelming to the point you get to the edge of that cage and then you're supposed to just jump out. Uh, and I remember the, the anxious feeling. The third and fourth and fifth time I went bungee jumping, that feeling was not even close to what it was that first time, because there was a level of confidence. I've done this before. This cable is probably gonna hold me again, right? It held me the last few times, it's probably gonna hold me again. Um, <clears throat> right, so there is a, there is a good God driven, it's not even just in circumstances. I mean, even think about relational risks and and the feeding ground that that can be for for anxiety, sometimes healthy, right? Relational risks where you, maybe it's a job interview and you're putting yourself out there. Maybe it's a friend group that you really want to be accepted by. And there's this relational risk and anxiety of, I don't know if I'm going to be accepted. I don't know if I can do this. Um, For me, even certainly marriage, right? Marriage, there is a level of, do I have what it takes, to be the husband that I want to be. And I think in some ways that's really healthy and godly that that, that confidence or, or fear can be a thing that really raises the seriousness. Do I understand what I'm signing up for? Am I gonna be a good steward of this responsibility, whether it's school, whether it's relational, whether it's the circumstances in your life, that seriousness, but just like everything in our world, right? our world is broken, our world is broken. And so I, I think in a lot of ways, that fear becomes very distorted and becomes very debilitating. And all of a sudden my reality, that fear takes the best of me, that anxiety overtakes me, and all of a sudden my reality becomes distorted. All of a sudden I feel fear and I feel panic. And and I feel fear at times of not even anything I can articulate. I just feel afraid of being afraid sometimes our uh, panic attacks can come on because I'm just scared of having a panic attack. And so the anxiety is I don't want to have another panic attack. And so I'm walking in constant fear and anxiety of that happening. And it's for reasons we don't fully understand. And so what's the solution? So what I'm going to do in this sermon is really just try to give us three categories of what is broken right? That I want you guys, this isn't going to solve all of our problems, but I want to set up this sermon for the next two weeks. And next week, I'm, I'm incredibly excited. Nathan and Amy are actually going to tag team uh, a conversation on really, uh, Amy's going to step into three huge lies that we believe that are at the root of these. But, but for this sermon, I, I want you to understand there's some categories of our brokenness that as I unpack them, I want you to say, okay, maybe, maybe anxiety isn't just a quick fix. Maybe it's not just something I'm going to get a pep talk and I'm going to believe more. Maybe it's a complicated issue tied to our design, tied to brokenness. And if you walk out of here with some categories to start praying and evaluating yourself and where you might find some of that brokenness, then that is a win. Um, And so we're going to step into those three categories. Before I do, I'm going to give you three quick cautions, though. And these are important. Because as we explore freedom from anxiety, here's some cautions that are easy um, to step into, and I want us to avoid them. The first one is I want us to avoid the just stop it model of fixing our anxiety, right? Avoid the just stop it model of fixing our anxiety. And here's what I mean by that there was actually this um, comedian who did a skit a long time ago where he played a psychiatrist and a woman came into his office um, and she has all this baggage and all these different fears and all these different kinds of fears. And, and basically he charged her to whenever she would say a fear, he would just yell at her, stop it. That was this whole counseling practice where he would just yell at her, stop it, stop it, stop it. And then she paid him and, and she was done. Um, and, and I think we do that all the time. I think there is something inherently in us where when we feel broken, when we feel like there's something that we can't fix, so often we just say, I'm gonna grip my teeth and I'm just gonna be better. I'm just gonna suck it up and I'm gonna cover it up, and I'm gonna push it down, and I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna pull myself up by the bootstraps would be the expression. I'm just gonna keep moving, and we don't actually deal with it, we don't resolve, we don't identify. Like this sermon, hopefully, will challenge some of us. What category? Where's this coming from? We just say, okay, I'm just gonna stop it, or even that's the counsel we give other people. Well, just stop being anxious, um, and that's a massively oversimplified uh, solution. The second caution, quickly, I want to give you is to avoid over spiritualizing anxiety. And this is important. Um, <clears throat> I don't even know. In fact, I know I don't agree with the word over spiritualization, to be honest. Um, I believe in a God who is over all things. I believe in a God who controls all things. I believe in a God who is sovereign, right? And so the idea of something being over spiritualized is almost a derogatory statement. I don't know that I agree with that. However, I chose to use it for, for this because I want to make a point really clear. I think at times in the church or in Christian circles, we tend to make everything just about, I just need to love Jesus more. Everything just is is only a a spiritual solution. So what that does is it means if you have anxiety and if you're struggling with anxiety, you feel stuck in anxiety, then so often what you hear from, from believers, from followers of Christ is, oh, well, you're just not spiritual enough. You just need to believe God more. You just need to, you just need to love, love God more. And although I think there is a, we'll talk about it, a huge component. We'll spend a lot of time in that particular camp in the next three weeks. I think at times we over-spiritualize and we make everything about, I guess your faith isn't that strong. And that's really dangerous my mom uh, is an incredible woman. Uh, she's an incredible woman. Her and my dad are missionaries. They've just lived an awesome life. Great mom. She's a nanny now. She's nanny and pops, um, and she's an awesome nanny, and just a, a great, high-capacity, loving woman. When I was young, she was diagnosed uh, as bipolar, which means she will swing um, if not properly medicated and balanced, she'll swing from extreme highs, manic highs, where the serotonin levels in her, are, in her brain are, are off the charts. And, and she's in a manic, almost maniac type state. Or if imbalanced, she can swing all the way, oftentimes medicate that and swing all the way into a deep, deep clinical depressive state where she just doesn't want to get out of bed and she's just deeply, deeply depressed. And it's a chemical imbalance. It's a chemical imbalance in her head. Right, and, and yet, we grew up in evangelical Christian circles where a lot of people, very well-intended, very well-intended people say, oh, you're depressed. You just need to like read the Psalms, I guess. Or, oh, you must not be praying right. You, you must not be, oh, it, it says don't be anxious about anything, and you're anxious, so you just must not really... Ha- love Jesus or really believe Jesus because he tells you not to. And I think oftentimes, and so there would be seasons where she would go off of her meds to say, oh, well, you don't need meds. You just need to believe God more and have more faith. And so go off your meds and then she would go off her meds and she would swing into these high highs and low lows in really dangerous ways. Um, I grew up with asthma, right? I grew up with asthma. And so, you know, before I'd play sports, I'd have to take inhalers. And sometimes during certain seasons, I'd have to like do the breathing treatments, you know, multiple times a day. Nobody said, oh, don't take an inhaler. You just must not have any faith, right? There was a brokenness to my lungs, right? That we live in a broken world. Our, our chemicals are off, our lungs are off. There are people that, and so we see that as God's grace, right? We, we can see those things as God's grace. Um, I've heard before, you know, there are p- women who will give birth. So my wife cranked out two babies. She's a rock star. And, and I remember she got some counsel from some people. It was like, oh, you got to go all natural, you know, that's what, like, that's the godly way to do it and go all natural and like, that's, you know, that's what you should do. And um, what's it called with the, when epidural. epidural, yes. Um, she was like, oh no, the epidural is God's grace, right? Like, I was like, I'm getting an epidural and it is the grace of God that has shown up to allow me to have, right? We can see medicine and technology not as this thing that competes with faith, but as a thing that says, praise God, how he's invented the brain and minds and doctors and all of those things, so I think it's really important that, that we don't just walk out of here and say, I guess I don't believe. Unapologetically, unapologetically, guys, we're gonna talk a lot about the spiritual roots that are broken without a doubt in the three weeks that we're talking about that. We're gonna talk a disproportionate amount about the spiritual roots and how when they're healthy, other things can be healthy. But I don't want you to walk out of here and say, well, I guess I don't, shouldn't ever see a doctor about some of these things. Okay, it's important that you hear that and that you're cautious there. And then the other thing is I think it's also important that we don't over medicate our anxiety. Over medicating is equally a thing. We live in a culture now, if you swing the other way to say there's a pill for that, right? I'm anxious, I'm sad, I'm depressed, I'm, whatever it is, I-, I could probably get a doctor to write me a prescription for that. I have a hard time concentrating, whatever it is, there's a pill for that, that I can get, that I can take, And I think that can be equally as dangerous, right? That can be equally as unhealthy because we're only covering up symptoms and not dealing with anything root in anxiety or depression or any of those things. We're just covering up and medicating symptoms. And so that can be dangerous, all right? However, I'm a pastor. And so I'm never going to give you advice on your medicine, right? Because I'm not an MD and I'm not gonna pretend to be. And we as a ministry aren't. But we wanna leave that lane there for people, but also caution them. We live in a world that, I read a ton of books in the last uh, three, four weeks on anxiety and most of them were by non-believers who just had such amazing contributions to the science behind the brain and emotions and trauma in some incredible ways. But I would read these books and I was like, man, they're missing. That They are trying to solve a problem and they don't have all the tools. They don't have Jesus. They've got a lot to contribute in science and medicine, but they don't have all of it. But they could easily just over-medicate Okay, so here we go. The three categories that I really want you to be praying through um, and thinking through and evaluating, okay, where might some of this anxiety be coming from in these categories Uh, or in somebody you know or love to be able to counsel them. uh, You'll see these categories kind of feed each other and feed off each other. What's broken, right? This idea of what's broken. The first one is what's broken is the world around us, right? Without a doubt, there is a brokenness in the world around around us, right, there's expectations that you guys live in that are not healthy expectations that are placed on you by the world and by the culture, right, Um, if you're in college, right, there is an extreme pressure in college that isn't all bad, it isn't evil, but there is a standard uh, of quality of life that you're supposed to live and you're supposed to achieve, Um, things like, well, man, if if I fail, right, if you don't fully succeed at everything, well, then that makes you a failure, that's going to shape your identity, your worth and your value, if, if, if you feel like you're too far gone, there's these lies that tie into that. Our, our culture says, man, ladies, so often there's a culture in, in, in young adult culture where, man, if you don't have a ring by spring, man, if you don't have a ring by spring, then you, there's a good chance you're going to become a lonely cat lady and just have cats your whole life, right? Right? And there's this like anxiety that gets placed on us of all of these things I've got to do and and men, the the job interviews and the internships you need to get and all of these things which aren't bad but they become this world that we live in that is valuing something different than where God says your ultimate stability and confidence and worth and validation comes from. And so we've got all these roots trying to find them in things that will never actually nourish the plant. Romans 12.2. I love this. Um, Romans 12.2 says, Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and what is acceptable and what is perfect. There's a level to the brokenness we live in, to the world that you live in, that's telling you, this is what you need to do. This is what you need to achieve. This is what you need to have. This is what you need to look like. This is what you need to weigh. This is how pretty you need to be. This is how accepted you need to be. This is how successful you need to be. And Paul in Romans 2 says, stop. The patterns, the NIV says, no longer conform to the patterns of this world, right? The, The world is telling you these things that we've got to repent from and say, I need to renew my mind. That's hard. Because we want to reach outside of what we control, and we want to control those things. There's a um, a chart that I've often seen used in this, and um, and in it. So, go with me here. God's domain is the gray, right? And the circle is our domain. Obviously, God's domain is we're going to say much larger than those screens, but we didn't have larger screens, and so we'll just say that's infinitely expands. Meaning. What God is in control of, right? The domain that our God can control is, is all, of, all of life, right? And then what we can control, our domain, is, is what's in that circle, meaning the things that we're responsible for. You had the ability to get up and get dressed and go to church today. That was a choice that you made to come to this outreach this morning. You had this choice to get up and say, I'm going to come. I'm going to worship at college at the college service this morning right? Because that was in your domain. You've you been made steward of certain projects and work and maybe responsibilities that you can control and you can step into and you can function uh, responsibly with. And so in your domain, your role is to obey, right? What God has given you to be steward over, you in line with God's word say, I want to obey you. I want to do what's right. I want to function well and be responsible. And I'm going to obey you with these things, right? And I'm going I'm to bring you glory with these things, what we want to do so often is we want to expand our domain. The things we can't control, the things that are outside of our control, we spend so much time and drive so much anxiety trying to say, I want to control that and I want to control this and I want over here and things that you have no power to control. And we become, we become twisted with anxiety because we're trying to control things we can't control. And God says the things outside of your control, your role is to trust your role is to trust the things that you can't control, to trust that God has those things. And that's gonna, that is something that we do the rest of our life. That is a muscle that we build the rest of our life. Now, if, if you get married or, or if you're in this room and you are married, right, that is such an exercise of I can't control my wife, she can't control me, Right, I might try to, and she might try to, but what? no, you all I can control is myself. And so you'll see marriages that get really sideways because they're trying to step out rather than trusting. Okay, you've got to work on your stuff, and I'm going to work on my stuff. I'm going to trust God. And I'm going to pray, and I'm going to do what I can. But the areas I can't, I'm going to let go right? When you have kids one day, oh my gosh, you totally can't control them, but you want to, and you want to shape them, and you want to protect them, but you can't do those things. It is muscle that you will develop the rest of your life, that you've got to identify, okay, the things out of my control, how do I let them go? Because the world around us, the broken world around you, tells you you've got to control everything. You've got to get in line. You've got to be able to do that. Um. <clears throat> there is not just broken standards in the world around us. Um, I wish that's all it was. Uh, there's also just sin and the effects of sin and how the effects of sin um, warps us, how it produces trauma in our life. Um, maybe maybe you've experienced brokenness and from that brokenness um, are struggling with anxiety because of, consequences from sin that you have stepped into things that you've done that you either haven't been able to heal from or or you haven't brought it into the light and confessed it and walked out what it looks like to to find healing from those things um, things you've done but also um, things that have been done to you right we live in such a broken world so there's a lot of stuff that isn't even your fault you know stuff that you didn't ask for, stuff that you didn't want. There's a hand that you got dealt, circumstances that happened to you that now you carry the weight of and have to figure out, what do I do with this thing I can't control? What do I do with this thing that's happened to me? How do I find healing for this? How do I deal with this? That's a category that's broken the world around us, the things we've done, the things that have been done to us, the standard of the world around us that we've got to evaluate God would you reveal to me some things that maybe are unresolved, unconfessed, unshared, unprocessed so that Lord, as as I want to grow in healing, Lord, would you bring these things up? Would you help me process them? whole other category of brokenness that I think is directly fed from from category one is category two, which is our minds and our bodies. Um, Our minds and our bodies, um, again, like I said, it's We don't just over-spiritualize everything, right? God has designed in his perfect spirit control, he has designed our bodies. Look at Psalm 139, verse 14, says, I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Time and time again, we see throughout scripture a creator God who designed us, who has a great, brilliant, perfect design for us right, has created us, this wonderfully, fearfully, wonderfully made, but then sin has come in 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 Genesis chapter 3 and distorted that. Romans 8 says this, Romans 8, 19 through 23, for the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God, for the creation was subject to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Creation is subject to this brokenness. For we know that the whole of creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have been the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons and daughters the redemption of our bodies. We have a beautiful design by God and then brokenness has come in and there is within us there's within us a groaning that the spirit says this isn't how it's supposed to be. What's happened to you, the trauma, the world you live in, the perspective, the patterns of the world, this isn't his design. One day he'll come back. One day he'll redeem. He will restore if we let him. We don't know his timetable. We don't know if it's on this side of eternity or the other side of eternity for us. We're not promised that. We're promised that he's good though. And we're promised that he he will restore. But man, there's this groaning that happens. His design, though, really is brilliant. It, it really is. Our, our bodies and our minds are this incredible thing. Um, there's this thing, and, and you, might, you might already know this, um, but there's this thing that uh, a couple who discipled Danielle and I years ago really unpacked for us, and it was huge in our marriage, and it's, it's a key part of anxiety also, and it's called the amygdala, right? The amygdala is this thing in our brain. If you don't know, pre-med people, I'm sure, know what this is. Um, the amygdala is this thing in our brain that is what activates fight or flight, right? So it's the thing that like when when a, when a car veers off the road and and lands on top of a, of a kid, right? Have you ever heard a story of a mom throwing a car off of their kid? Right, that makes zero sense, right? That's not a logical thing to be able to do. But have you ever heard a story of a mom lifting a car off her kid or a, or a bear coming and attacking someone and, and you just you'd shift and no longer are you accessing logic. You just go after it. It's fight or flight. That's what the amygdala does. It is, a, it is a thing that God designed to say, that mom, if a car lands on her kid, she's not thinking, man, I squat 220, but this car probably couldn't. Maybe I should, right? Maybe I should stretch. No, no, there's no logic happening because the amygdala, what it does is it, it no longer, when it's triggered, when it's fired, it no longer allows access to your frontal cortex. No joke. That's how God designed you. You no longer have access to your frontal cortex if your amygdala is fired. Which means your frontal cortex is how you articulate speech. It's how, it's how you're able to articulate your feelings. So if you're in a panic attack, your amygdala is fired. And, you, and somebody's like, what's going on? How do you feel? Express how you feel. You don't have access to your frontal cortex. You also can't reason right? Your frontal cortex is where reason and logic plays in. And so a mom says, I'm not reasoning with this car. I'm just going to lift it up. Adrenaline floods into your brain and into your body. I'm going to lift this car. A bear comes around the corner. I'm going to run faster than I've ever run before, right? I'm not going to think about anything. I'm not going to think about like, oh, let me pack up my backpack. I'm just going to run, right? I'm going to shut off all reason and logic and just run. It's this incredible design, the amygdala. True story. In my marriage, in my marriage. there is something that, that triggers my wife's uh, amygdala almost every time, and it's me eating celery. No joke. Me eating celery, right, babe? Yep. Yeah. <clears throat> there we were on the couch. I'm gonna let you guys in on a little Fuquay family quarrel. There we were on the couch. This was years ago, right? Years ago, we're sitting there. I'm eating celery, right? Because I'm a responsible, healthy eater. So I'm eating the, sitting there eating celery, drinking my beer, and we're sitting on the couch, and, and my wife, she grew up in a home also where like they didn't like scrape their forks on their plates and they didn't chomp loudly. And it was like, if you made a bunch of noise at the dinner table, it was kinda like, whoa, whoa, dial it back. A- and so there I am just crunching into celery, just making great healthy life choices, just crunching into celery. And every time I bite into celery, literally, like no joke, my wife's amygdala is fired. She's, Ugh. oh God. She just is, you know, just, and I'm, I'm just watching Netflix or whatever I'm doing and just, and, and, and she just builds and no joke, this happened one time and she was like, would you just stop? Would you, oh, what are you doing? Right? And so she, she's just in her amygdala. She's not trying to be mean. She just, she's full of adrenaline and and she can't access her reasoning or her ability to really slow down and, and think rationally. She just knows she's triggered and fired. Her amygdala is what's called an amygdala hijack. And so then I respond really immaturely and I'm like, what are you? what's up with you? I'm just eating celery, making healthy life choices over here and you're snapping at me and she can't really articulate that and so my amygdala fires because my wife's disrespecting me when I'm eating celery and I love celery and so I'm back at her and then she's back at me and so we're just, well, neither one of us can access really how we feel or logic, right? And that's the thing and I remember when it first happened, I was like, man, I just felt like disrespected. It wasn't a disrespectful thing. My wife's incredible. She just, literally, the crunching next to her on the couch just triggered her, Right? And, and if fire. so now I eat, every time I eat celery, I eat in the other room. No joke. Last week I was eating celery. She was, I was in the kitchen. She was in the bedroom, but the door was open and I'm eating celery. And she was like, I can still hear you. So now I have to like go out in the backyard and like hide behind a tree and just eat celery. <clears throat> um, you get it, right? This design, right? And so you'll see married couples all the time that don't realize that right? They just, they'll, they'll trigger each other, and then it takes, it takes anywhere from 18 to 30 minutes, depending on the circumstances, literally, for, for the, the biology that God has designed in you, to just settle that down, to where then you can access your frontal cortex again, and reason with yourself, and understanding again, and the adrenaline to come down. It's an incredible design, but like our world that is groaning in, in, in childbirth because of the futility that we're subjected to, it's broken, so we've got amygdala hijacks that will happen all the time, things that trigger us, you, constantly. Like I said earlier, we can get triggered by the thought of being triggered. The thought of having a panita- panic attack can, can create a panic attack, and so there is undoubtedly in our minds and in our bodies a brokenness. There's habits that we formed and created that God has said, hey, renew your mind and renew your bodies and, and change some, some habits. Change some of your coping mechanisms. Change some of the ways in which you deal with stress. Change some of the the things you go to. Change how you respond in some behavioral ways. And so there's these broken categories in this that we don't know why. It just happens. We have to investigate that. We have to look at that. Um, Last one is this. The last category of of really where I I want us to kind of start this conversation for the rest of the series is um, a category of brokenness that's not just the world around us, unbelievably um, broken and, and anxiety-producing. Not just our minds and our bodies that have gotten hijacked, that have created really bad patterns of how we relate to each other, um, but it's also our faith. Right? There's a brokenness in our faith and in our relationship with God that obviously here as a ministry, we can't ignore that. We can't avoid that. And this book is packed. God's word is packed with how do we find healing for that? That faith, that relationship with God. I, I read... Uh, Romans 8, when I first got up here, that idea that for all who are led by the Spirit are are sons and daughters, right? And that being a son and a daughter, if you're in Christ, if you've surrendered your life to Christ, then I believe you are filled with the Holy Spirit. You're filled with the Holy Spirit, so you can't just grit your teeth and and do better. You're filled with the Holy Spirit that is doing the work of renewing your mind if you'll allow and submit to that Holy Spirit. And and renewing our bodies and, and focusing us and But so often that relationship becomes broken, but we are given this spirit in which no longer is a spirit of slavery unto fear, but Romans 8 says a spirit of adoption by which we cry, Abba, Father. Abba, this incredibly intimate word, functionally daddy, that I can crawl into the lap of a holy God who is in control, who does know what's best, who can calm the storms, my son, Charlie, actually last night he got up out of bed uh pretty late, and I was at the kitchen island, I was up working on some stuff, and so he came out of his bedroom and man, my boys are awesome, but he had had a bad dream, and so he came over and was so sweet, but you could just tell he was kind of shaken, and this happens every once in a while and um and he he came up and he wanted some water, and he just was he just was visibly shaken. Um, and, then, and then we have a routine when that happens. Of Dad, will you, will you come back and lay down with me for a little bit? And I always do. I don't just say, oh, get back in there. You have f- six more hours to sleep. I, I go back in there. And I go back in there and like clockwork, man, he lays down. And then I lay down in the bed next to him just to get to be with him, just to get to be present with him. And, man, when I'm laying there next to him, he is out like a light. He is out like a light. I just send him back in the room without me no just go back to sleep he'll come back out 10 minutes later 15 minutes later I go back down there and I'm just present with him as his father and he knows okay he's an eight-year-old he knows okay my dad's got this my dad's got this man we have a faith and a relationship with God that should produce a confidence in us a Father, I have a spirit that cries out, you are my father, you are my dad. I can crawl in your lap where it's safe. Would I approach you? Would I be there? Would I be present with you? Would you draw near? Would I draw near to you? I need that. I'm designed for that. And I need this relationship vertically with God right, this vertical relationship with my Heavenly Father to be as healthy as possible, as wide and as healthy as possible, this, this pipeline to my Father who gives peace so that all the horizontal stuff can be healthy, so my interactions with others, so that my interactions with the world around me can be healthy, but I've got to get that healthy my faith in who he is. Do I really believe he's that kind of father? Do I really believe his presence is that powerful and palpable? Do I really believe that a relationship with him is is worth it? All of those things. And I do. I do believe those things. But gosh, I also am shallow in my belief. I'm a pastor, right? I know I'm not supposed to say that, but oh my gosh, I need the Lord to keep increasing my faith keep increasing my faith. One of my favorite stories um, in the New Testament, I, I feel like I share it a lot, um, but if it's the 10th time you've heard it, praise God. It's about the 100th time I've heard it, and I love it, and I still need it. Look what happens in Mark 9. Look at, what, look at what this father does with his son who's hurting. When they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them, and scribes arguing with them, and immediately all the crowd When they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him, talking about Jesus. and And he asked them, Jesus asked them, "What are you arguing about with them?" And someone from the crowd answered him, "Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute." And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I ask your disciples to cast it out and they they were not able. So this this father has a son who's possessed with a demon, right? We see that several times in the New Testament, right? There's this demon possession that's happening and takes the disciples, disciples can't do anything. And he answered to them, oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. So he's like, guys, you're killing me. Bring the kid to me. Immediately, the father of the child, listen to this, the father of the child cried out. He said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out of the boy. And the boy was like a corpse. So most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. The father Brings him to Jesus. I'm hurting. I can't fix this. And Jesus says to you, believe. And I love the Father's response. My response. Your response. I believe. And in the same breath, he says, I believe. Help my unbelief. I believe you are good. I believe you are enough. I believe you can heal. I believe that I can crawl into your lap and find comfort. I believe that. But help my unbelief. Because yes, I believe it. Oftentimes, I've heard people say the longest distance in the world is from the head to the heart. God, I know that to be true of you. Here I am at 11 o'clock in a coffee shop at a ministry. So yes, of course, I believe that, that there's something there that you can do. Would you do it? But help, help the places that that belief is still so shallow because my belief isn't just a light switch. It's a muscle that I have to build to say, God, the broken world around me, the brokenness in me that I've done, that's been done to me, God, there is hope and there is healing and there is freedom from that. I believe that you can heal. I believe that you can set free, but help my unbelief. We are his and he is enough and he is good and he will finish what he started in you. Would we lean into him in this series? Would you spend some time in these weeks asking the Lord, God, Where are some of those places, those roots of brokenness that's producing anxiety, producing depression, producing hurt? Let's identify those. In the next several weeks, let's walk together as a community and just keep offering them up to a God. Not oversimplified, check the box, yes, Jesus, but deeply find healing in a God who can heal. Let me pray. Father, we love you. We love you because you first loved us. And you don't leave us. You don't abandon us. And we, that is in your character to, to be with us. Um, God, I am reminded of um, a story in the Old Testament. The song we're about to sing, um, it reminds us of this. This uh, this story of these three men who lived in a world that was so broken didn't have anything to do with you. A culture that that hated you, God, but these three men, they loved you and they kept their eyes fixed on you and focused on you and and ultimately they were were condemned to death because um, they just wanted you. And so they were thrown into this furnace to be punished, to be killed. And God, in Scripture, you show us that you were in the fire with them. You were in that fire with them. You didn't leave them. You didn't abandon them. You protected them. And they even said, even if we die, God's still good. And, and, and you protected them. God, we live in a furnace. Some of the things that maybe we've brought about in our lives, some of the things that we didn't have a say in, some of the things that have been done to us or we've experienced the world that we feel so often just drowning in, you don't leave us. You don't leave us in that furnace, God. You are there with us in that fire. That is unbelievably comforting that that's the God that you are. You don't wait till we get out of it. You don't wait till we're all fixed up. You don't wait till we're all modified our behavior. You meet us in the fire. And so God, for my brothers and sisters in this room who feel like they're in the fire today, who feel like maybe they're stuck in that place that anxiety produces, God, would you just remind them that you're there? You'll be there in the healing and you're there now. Thank you for the God that you are. Thank you for the father that you are. We have a spirit in which we cry, Abba, Father, we can crawl in your lap. Thank you. We love you, we love you, we love you. In Jesus' name.